I'm going to invite us just for um, a moment to um, offer up thanksgiving and praise to God um, for Crystal, uh, who is our director of um, worship here at the Southeast Raleigh Table. For those of you who may be new to our community, um, you may know that for actually a almost a two-year period, we were without a director of music. And over the past five months, um, Crystal has moved into this position and has held this space absolutely beautifully. She has helped us to ground ourselves as we come into worship, to bump into our best celebratory selves in the midst of worship, and doing so in such a way that it doesn't feel like, oh, Crystal's up here doing this thing and then we're over here doing this thing, or she's doing something for us, but that she invites us to also know what it is to be an alleluia from head to toe. And that is a gift, because we know that there are those who lead worship, and we also know that there are those who perform. There is a difference. There is a difference. There is a holy difference. Um, and she is one who leads us into worship, invites us, um, into worship, and uh, again, allowing us to be alleluias from head to toe. So we give God thanks and praise for, for Crystal. Because what you don't want is me on the recorder or the tambourine trying to be a pastor and a worship leader. I love y'all way too much. <laughs> So friends, if you were with us last Sunday, you know that it was um, epic in lots of ways when you consider that for two years we were not able to be with one another in person, inside for an Easter celebration. And the best way that we can sum up what happened last Sunday on Easter Sunday is that it was big and grand and celebratory, that we left with a, a, a renewed hope and with energy kind of like pulsing in our bodies that when we walk out of this place that Easter didn't miss us, but that Easter was carried within us. And here is the beautiful thing about um, the fact of this Easter season is that last Sunday, Easter Sunday, wasn't the end and the beginning. It was just the start of 50 days, 50 days that we get to declare the goodness of Christ's resurrection. Easter is not a day. Easter is a season. It's a 50-day season spanning seven Sundays. So from last Sunday into June 5th, we will be in the season of Easter, which means that you can leave this place and go to Publix and say to someone, Happy Easter. And if they look at you some type of way, you can say, Let me tell you, friend, there are 50 days that I'm going to Easter you to life, okay? <laughs> I'm bringing that Easter energy. 50 days that we have to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. I love the 50 days of Easter because it takes our Christ is risen, Christ indeed, alleluia, and it intersects with our daily lives. Uh, that on a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Friday or a Saturday, we can say that there is something about the power of Christ's resurrection that is made known in our daily lives. That Christ's life, Christ's conquering death, means something for me at my job. It means something for me within my family. It means something for me in how I take care of myself or take care of the world. It means something for how I care for creation. Christ's resurrection isn't just like one day we memorialize Jesus. No, Christ's resurrection is this invitation 
that because Christ has overcome death, we too, though we are mortal flesh, can live like we are those who are really living. There are so many beautiful writers who talk about this, about how resurrection intersects our lives. Julia Esquivel, who is a Guatemalan poet, she has this really beautiful line in a poem where she says that our lives have been threatened by resurrection. Hear that. Not only is your life threatened by despair or hopelessness or violence or scarcity, your life is also threatened by life. Which means that when you want to like backpedal into tombs, that means when you want to just stay in the valley, that means when you cannot have an imagination for your life, your life is threatened by the thing that expands life. Or the writer Wendell Berry, that great farmer and theologian in his poem called Manifesto, the last line he says this, practice resurrection. Can you imagine what it would look like if all the energy that we had last Sunday, I saw y'all last Sunday, okay, all the energy you had last Sunday, this belief that you were carrying in your hearts, that you were singing with your lips, you said, I can practice this every single day. Practice resurrection. And so that's what we're going to do at the Southeast Raleigh table. Because resurrection isn't just some ethereal concept it's not just something for theologians to wrestle over the metaphysical nature of how Christ got up. There's a reality of resurrection that we should trust meets the everyday ordinariness of our lives to make our lives extraordinary. And so for the next 50 days here in the, at the Southeast Raleigh table, we are going to engage practicing resurrection, being threatened by resurrection with a sermon series called Holy Yes. Oh, yes, 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 Holy Yes. Where we'll talk um, about next Sunday with our State of the Church, what does Holy Yes look like for the Southeast Raleigh Table as we are turning a corner in a pandemic? What does it mean to be the church what does it mean to be ambassadors, change makers, statistic shifters, those who are wed to righteousness and justice? What will it mean for us to say, holy yes? And then for the following weeks, we are going to actually get to hear from individuals within our Southeast Raleigh table who said holy yes over the past two years, but maybe we didn't get to witness it with our eyes. Individuals who chose to take on new jobs because they said holy yes to purpose. And folks who, who, um, who decided to wed themselves to particular communities because they said holy yes to life-giving relationships and not relationships that are life-draining. Some of y'all right-sized some people in your life. You had to let some things go in order to have some things in your life. Some of you left some things behind because you wanted to say yes to new beginnings. You didn't want to hold on to the old for so long. And we want to bear witness to all of the ways in which we said, holy yes. Because Jesus is not dead. That's what I believe. <laughs> that Christ is alive and that Christ is alive in us. And sometimes it doesn't always seem so like, ooh, jazz hands. And yet, and yet I don't want us to miss how in our daily lives we have made what sometimes feels very ethereal resurrection. We 
our lives, templates for God's glory, we make resurrection very real. So today we're going to start with um, a holy yes to peace. <laughs> a holy yes to peace. I want you to hear now in John chapter 20, beginning with the 19th verse, Jesus is making a post-resurrection appearance to the disciples. And the scripture says this, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. I want to say that Jesus actually shows up again because Thomas was not there when Jesus offered these two words of peace and says, peace be with you a third time. But we're just going to rest with the two peace be with you's that Jesus offers up in verses 19 through 23. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I want to jump right into this passage of scripture by first setting the stage for what happened before we come and we find the disciples on this evening locked behind closed doors. Before all of this, before this evening, there is a lot of activity at the tomb in the morning. First, it's Mary Magdalene who goes to the tomb and she notices that the stone in front of the tomb has been rolled away. Mary Magdalene then goes and runs to the disciples. She tells the disciples, oh my goodness, the stone that was in front of the tomb has been rolled away. Two of the disciples, foot race, Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loves, that's how um, this disciple talks about himself. You know, we all want to believe we are loved the most by Jesus. But anyway, Simon Peter and the one whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved, they basically have a foot race to the tomb. It says that the disciple whom Jesus loved stops at the entrance of the tomb, but Peter actually goes into the tomb, sees the grave clouds, and it says that they believe even though they could not fully understand. Those two disciples go back to the other disciples. Mary Magdalene is having a cry fest outside of the tomb. Jesus comes and talks to Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene cannot believe that this is actually Jesus, mistaking Jesus to be someone else. But in the midst of her weeping, Jesus calls her by her name. And she's like, oh, I know how he says Mary. <laughs> Okay, okay, I know this voice. And it says that, uh, that she responds, teacher, basically, oh, I know you. Then she goes back, tells the disciples, I have seen the Lord. All of these signs of life, all of this activity, running hither and yon, 
being spoken to by Jesus and speaking to Jesus, all of these signs of life. And all of a sudden, now the disciples are behind closed doors, afraid by that evening. I'm not talking the next day. I'm not talking three months. The same day, friends. Sunrise, sunset. Sunset, we are afraid. They are afraid. And this um, reaction of the disciples behind closed doors seems in sharp contrast to all of the activity that had happened at the morning at the tomb. But I sense that we all, in some aspect of our lives or in some seasons of our lives, have a bit of familiarity with this kind of sharp contrast of one moment when we're like, mmm, and then the next moment we're like, Like, I can't even be mad at the disciples. Because on Sunday morning, last Sunday, when you came energetic and excited and celebratory, I don't know how many of you felt like you were locked behind um, closed doors of self-doubt by Monday. That all it takes is to go into your place of employment and you begin to ask yourselves questions about who you are and whose you are. I don't know who on Tuesday was locked behind closed doors of insecurity. I don't know who on Wednesday was locked behind closed doors of, of anxiety. I don't know who by Thursday was locked behind closed, uh, closed doors of like, is this relationship going to work? I get it. Sometimes our Sunday behavior shifts really quickly. There is someone in our community who was here on Sunday who was singing to the highest heavens and by uh, this upcoming Monday is going to have to journey alongside a family member who's going to have a serious surgery. Even though we've talked about this God whose body was broken but also redeemed, but then we have to recognize, come face to face with the mortality of our own bodies. There's a contrast. There's a con- we can have all of this excitement outside of the tomb and then by the end of the day be behind closed doors worried and afraid and wondering and anxious. I'm going to confess something to you. For the last four Easter's in particular, I have come to worship and I have been like, like lit, I mean so excited about work. I mean, you all energize me. There's something about corporate worship on an Easter Sunday morning. You look good, we smell good. It's just such a good day. And then I watch the news on Monday and I'm like, now what do we do all of that for? Why does this world love tomb living? So I'm going to confess to you, this year I was like, I don't want my Easter vibe to be messed up. And I just didn't watch the news at all this week. Y'all, I don't know what's going on in the world. I really don't know. And that's actually not a good thing. Because I, I tried to escape reality this week as opposed to believing that Jesus actually disrupts our reality. I get it. <laughs> I get it. The truth is we can have Easter and still not feel like Easter. And the disciples had the first Easter, but they weren't reacting as though they had been touched by 
Easter. So here's how Jesus meets them. Behind closed doors, locked, because they are fearful that in the same way that the religious leaders had come for Jesus, that they were going to also come for them. Jesus does not uh, say, by the way, friends, I'm going to show up at 9.35. Is the alarm on? But Jesus shows up unannounced and finds a way through the locked doors. And when Jesus comes through the locked doors, Jesus doesn't say, now, jokers, what's wrong with y'all? Why are you here cowering in fear? Do you not know that I have been raised? No, the first words that Jesus says to the disciples, peace be with you. Remember, they are afraid, and the first word that Jesus offers to them is peace be with you. Then it says that Jesus shows them his hands, which will be proof that this is not, like an, this is not something you're imagining, but do you see how I've overcome mortality and that this is a mortal flesh that is before you? But I still carry the wounds of the violence from the nation state, and yet I have risen above that. It says then that when Jesus shows them his hands, this proof that he has overcome the grave, then um, the disciples begin to rejoice. They're like, okay, okay, okay. This resurrection thing is real. This one who is standing before us is not a dead man, is not a ghost, but is a live man walking. Remember how he told you? <laughs> Interestingly, now the disciples are like, okay, okay, okay. What does Jesus do a second time? Peace be with you. But the second time when Jesus says, peace be with you, he then offers them a commission or a charge. So the first time, it's probably to be like, calm yourselves down, y'all. They're calm and they're rejoicing. Second time, it's like, okay, I'm offering you peace so that you can actually like live beyond these closed doors. As the Father has sent me, so now I send you after the second peace. That's how Jesus meets them. He gives them what they need in order for them to say, yes. The disciples are behind closed doors because they are afraid. Jesus meets them through the closed doors and offers them peace. <laughs> Jesus meets them where they need Jesus. Here's the thing. The resurrected Lord and all of the appearances doesn't just show up so that we can be like, oh my gosh. So we can just like gaze at Jesus. With each of the post-resurrection appearances, there is also this idea that resurrection invites us to live. That resurrection is going to do something for our own lives. So when the disciples are huddled up in fear, 
singing, oh no, oh no, oh no, 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 no. Jesus meets them at the place of their no with the thing that they need so that they can say yes to life. The disciples aren't just disciples so that they can be Jesus' entourage. The disciples are the disciples so that they can be out in the world in the same way that God, the Father, the one who creates the heavens and the earth, you know, is made manifest in Christ Jesus, full glory, full divinity, full humanity, who is also sent into the world so that we might know what it is to catch a glimpse of the best parts of ourselves. Jesus, who was sent into the world to do beautiful, miraculous things, then has these disciples who follow after him, covered in the dust of their rabbi, so that they also too might be commissioned in the world to live like their bodies, like their lives are the template for God's glory. But here they are, locked up, afraid, in behind closed doors, not doing any of those things. They're saying no. They're, they're, they're saying no. They're living like it's a no. But resurrection always invites us into life to a yes. And the disciples didn't need a speech and they didn't need instructions. They needed what they needed in order to say yes. They needed peace so they wouldn't be afraid. They needed peace so they wouldn't count the cost. They needed peace so that they wouldn't live backpedaling. They needed peace so that they might actually move beyond those doors. They needed peace so that they could speak peace to others who found themselves afraid and also anxious. So what do you need Jesus to say to you? So you might say a holy yes. The good news is, even when you are locked up behind closed doors, even when you don't know what to do, even if you don't know what step to take, Jesus, resurrection will find you. And resurrection won't bless you out, but resurrection will bless you. We'll meet you at the place that you are like, I just can't, I cannot do this thing. And Christ will give you the thing that will help you to say yes. You know, the last time I preached this particular passage of scripture was in April 2020. Guess where I preached this scripture? <laughs> Sitting in my kitchen. You know why? Because in April 2020, we were all behind closed doors. Literally, you can see the pantry door in my kitchen swinging, you know? In my production studio. We were literally living behind closed doors the last time this passage of scripture was proclaimed. And look at us now. <laughs> look at us now. It might not have always felt significant in the moment, but Jesus met us in the moment with the thing that we needed to sustain us to this moment. While we were living behind closed doors, some of you started businesses. While we were behind closed doors, many of you got married. 
While we were behind closed doors, <laughs> many of you walked away from relationships that no longer served you. While we were behind closed doors, some of you wrote books. While we were behind closed doors, some of you expanded family or reframed the idea of family. While we were behind closed doors, some of you invested in friendships. While we were behind closed doors, some of us went deeper into therapy. Because even behind closed doors, Jesus met us with what we needed. So that we did not feel like we were going to die, but yet shall we live and say, holy yes. And sometimes Jesus isn't going to make an announcement, but will drop by unexpectedly. And when Jesus drops by unexpectedly, Jesus will show us some proof. And then may it be that Jesus will speak a word over us where a holy no might be turned into a holy yes. Will you pray with me? God, for anyone who feels as though Easter missed them, for anyone who feels like this season is so fleeting, for anyone who struggles to believe that resurrection has anything to do with our personal lives, God, I ask you, boldly, would you then show us proof? God, sometimes we need to see it. Sometimes we need to hear it. Sometimes we need to sense it. That you find us in our desperate places. That you find us in the moments when we want to backpedal on our dreams. that we want to too easily give up, or maybe where we struggle to believe. Lord, would you then appear among us? Give us exactly what we need. And in doing so, oh God, when we are overwhelmed by the things that are beyond us, systems of oppression, systems tethered to scarcity, violence and war, that we might be able to say, oh, I see how Jesus is able to move through even the most difficult of circumstances in my life that we might trust. Jesus can move through the most difficult of circumstances in the world. Lord, for any of us who find ourselves 
incredibly anxious or fearful or overwhelmed with worry, I ask especially that you will meet my friends today with your peace that surpasses all understanding, that peace that doesn't make sense, that we cannot wrap our minds around. That Lord, this day, that for those who struggle with worry or anxiety, might place their heads on the pillow this evening, hear you whisper, peace be with you. Peace be within you. Peace above you. Peace below you. Peace. May it be so. In the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.